welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hello, fellow runners. Welcome back to the Runners Connect podcast. It's with a heavy heart that we conducted this year, this week's podcast. Um, as many of you know, we suffered a terrible tragedy last Monday at the Boston Marathon. Um, the Runners Connect offices are actually based in Boston, so it was an especially tragic day that hit home really hard for us. Um, it was especially difficult because the city was alive with hope and so much potential on Monday, and a couple of six individuals um, tried to soil what was so pure by attacking our beloved race. Runners everywhere deal with pain and adversity on an almost daily basis, and we do it by choice. This terrible tragedy left a lot of pain and adversity in its wake, but if there's any group that can come out of this stronger, it's certainly the running community. So with that said, we go ahead and move forward, and on today's show, we actually have with us a very special guest, Lauren Fleshman. Lauren is perhaps one of the most decorated U.S. middle distance runners in the early part of the decade. Her list of accomplishments includes three NCAA titles and two U.S. championships at 5,000 meters. She has three top five finishes at NCAA cross country and multiple Pac-10 1500 meter titles. She possesses PRs of 14.58 for 5K and 2.37 for her marathon debut. And on top of that, she finished seventh in the world at the 2011 World Championships. Lauren's on our show today to discuss how she managed to be successful for so long, how she's dealt with injuries, and how she's continued to channel her passion for running and nutrition into her company, Picky Bars. Lauren is an inspiration to many female runners thanks to her honesty, her intelligence, and her fierce competitive desire and spirit. Lauren definitely did not disappoint in this interview and brought her A-game with some very impactful lessons. So here's a couple ideas of what we're going to cover. Lauren covers how a long-term approach and patience enabled her to have success during a transition from high school to college when many of her peers typically struggle. You'll be surprised to learn that Lauren struggled to keep up with her training partners but stayed positive by focusing on the small steps towards your goal. We also talk about the importance of rest and taking downtime and how that's helped Lauren make continued success and improvements year after year. We'll also talk about how Lauren handles the issue of body image and distance running. Even elite runners like Lauren struggle with wanting to look thinner, but Lauren stretches the importance of not taking shortcuts and being comfortable with your own body type. Finally, we're going to talk about how Lauren turned a devastating injury into an opportunity to express her passions outside of running and actually come back stronger than before she was hurt. Finally, we mentioned a bunch of links in this interview, and if you have problems hearing the names or want to just look them up, you can visit all of them at runnersconnect.net slash rc26. And uh, this is definitely one of the favorite interviews that I've recorded as Lauren's passion and intelligence is passable, palpable throughout the interview. I absolutely guarantee you'll find tubs, tons of useful nuggets and training advice. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the show. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. On today's show, we're really excited to have with us Lauren Fleshman. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. So uh, I did a brief introduction about you in the, introdu- in the introduction, but I wanted to uh, give the audience a little bit more background about some of your running accomplishments and kind of where you come from in your own running background. So let's start with, uh, I guess, actually your high school and college background. Let's talk about you know, how you transitioned from high school to college and when you got started running and uh, as your running career blossomed. Well, uh, yeah, my career really took off in college. Well, my, kind of my senior year in high school, um, 
heading into college. I had a wonderful high school coach, Dave DeLong, who still coaches at Canyon High School. Long tradition, great athletes. He sent a ton of people off to four-year universities to run and instilled a lot of passion in people. So I got a great start. Um, and pretty much everything I had done, I can thank him for, really, for that. So uh, just gradually improved through high school. Wasn't really a recruiting prospect until um, my senior year. So by then, a lot of the scholarship money was gone. But um, luckily, uh, you know, financial aid helped out. Things helped bridge the gap until I could perform at a level to earn a scholarship. And I, I really just kind of came screaming out the gates at Stanford. First year, I was All-American. I think four times, two indoor, one in cross country, and one in outdoor track, uh, finishing fifth, I believe, in cross country and fifth in the 1500 outdoors, um, and we won the MR indoor. So we just had a smoking year, and uh, had great coaching there with Vin Lanana. So things just, you know, I kind of feel like everything started from those two, those two years. Um, really good foundation. Yeah. Um, so when you look back at those, especially those early years coming from your senior year in high school to your freshman year in college, um, how were you able to bridge that, make that transition really well? Because I know that's something a lot of athletes struggle with is that transition into college. Um, what do you think you set yourself up well to have such success right at right off the bat? I think that having a long-term approach was absolutely key, and that was something that was taught to me by my high school coach. Um, so his big thing was, he, he warned me. He was like, you're going to get smoked your first year. Don't expect to light the world on fire. And I ended up exceeding expectations, but I went into it expecting to get smoked <laughs> and expecting to kind of need to guard myself and not, not just be pushing it, pushing it, pushing it all the time. And so I really I came in with a respect for the seniors. Um, I didn't lead anything. I just kind of let myself adapt slowly. I didn't put any pressure on myself. And, um, and I also didn't always run with the top group. I mean, I couldn't keep up on the easy days. They were just at a different level than me. So I would try to keep up on the workout days. And then a lot of the easy days I had to run by myself or run slower. And, um, and I think that made a big difference. And I think just honestly, like really respecting those juniors and seniors and learning from them and asking questions. And I was a really inquisitive freshman. I wanted to know what things they'd learned, what things they'd made mistakes on, um, how they thought I could contribute. And I really focused on the team and bringing what I could to the team instead of really like looking out for myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that really served as a protection for me. Um, it gave me a place and, uh, and yeah, and then just luck. <laughs> and, yeah. um, I wouldn't say it's because I ate really well and slept really well because I didn't. You know, I did what every freshman does, which is stay up too late and mm -hmm. eat junk food at 2 a.m. <laughs> late night when you're doing your last-minute papers. Um, but uh, the coaches on our team, uh, Vin Lanan and Dina Evans, also are really careful with freshmen. Mm -hmm. uh, they would sort of like ease us in and assume that we weren't doing everything right the other 22 hours a day they didn't see us. Mm -hmm. And as a result, I think that they prevented a lot of us from getting hurt. Yeah. Um, I think what you said in the beginning was really interesting about that you kind of realized early on that you were going to struggle and to keep up with the talented girls that were around you. Um, and I know a lot of the audience that's listening to this probably struggle with the same thing when they either first start running or join a running club for the first time. It's like yeah. they want to run with the top people because 
that's eventually where they want to be, but it, it's obviously very difficult to do. Um, yeah. How did you mentally approach that, you know, especially being young, you were 18, 19 years old at the time. How did you approach that and, and not lose confidence in the fact that I can't keep up on some of these days? You know, how yeah. did you stay confident throughout the season? Well, I looked back at my past and I looked at how far I had come in four years in high school, you know, like from running a 528 mile to a 447 mile in four years. And it just, I ticked, I, I ticked away at it. And, um, and I think that since I had that positive experience and was able to, within four years, be the best in the state of California and one of the best in the country, I knew that that was a good way to do it. And mm -hmm. that. I just needed to be patient. In the end, the end goal was to finish college one of the best out there, if not the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I had time, you know. So I think it, that's what I meant by the long-term approach that was always instilled in me, and I really bought into it. It's just mm -hmm. patience and, uh, and, and, like, finding things, like, on the steps along the way to be excited about. You can't just make the end goal the thing you're excited about. Mm -hmm. it, to, you have to find pleasure in building up. Yeah, absolutely. I totally 100% agree, and I think that's a great outlook, and definitely people that are listening to this can use that in their own training to, to get them to that ultimate goal, but make sure that the steps are there along the way, and it's a next logical step every time. That's, that's great advice. Yeah, for sure. Um, so obviously, continuing your college career, you uh, you know had tremendous success, and I'm going to lift off some of the accomplishments, and you can let me know if I miss anything, but uh, you had three NCAA titles at the in five, at the 5,000 meters. Um, you were top five at NCAA cross-country three times, um, and you were pretty much a uh, 1,500-meter Pac-10 champion throughout your career. Um, <clears throat> during that time, how did you maintain that consistent amount of success, especially over that, over pretty much spanning three seasons all year round, and, and continue to improve each year? What do you kind of attribute your success to? I think there were a few things. Uh, one thing that I definitely believe in, and I still do to this day, is I took a day off every single week. That was something a lot of athletes, uh, that was like the first thing to go for most athletes in college was the day off. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I did was I took a break after each season. I mean, after my first cross-country season, I took almost four weeks off, which is a massive amount of time. That's what Bernard Lagat does to this day. He takes like four or five weeks and just does not run. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of athletes are so scared to do that. It takes a lot of confidence to take a break. But because I did that, I was always fully rebooting my system. Mm -hmm. And um, and yeah, you come back out of shape and you get your butt kicked for the first month. <laughs> and your first race isn't pretty. But what it does is allow you to continue to, you know, you climb and you go down just a little bit on your break and you climb and it just allows you to keep that continuous climb. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I still do that. Respect rest. Um, the other thing that I did was I didn't fall into any traps with eating disorders. And uh, that's a huge, just, oh my God, for girls and guys, people usually say it's mostly girls, but I saw a lot of guys when I was at Stanford struggling with the same things. They just called it something else. Um, but you start to get really self-conscious about your body. You start to see your body on the, you know, as a positive thing. You start to see your body as this changeable thing. It's not just a, whatever you're born with you've got. Like you realize that if I lift weights, I get stronger muscles. They mm -hmm. look stronger. If I do more speed work, I get more powerful quads. If I eat healthier, I lose body fat. Like you learn these things and you can see how you can shape and mold yourself like a sculpture to become this world-class athlete. Mm -hmm. And um, with women, it's just complicated because we look to 
women, we look to other women, we compare ourselves to each other all the time. And so there's this perpetuating cycle where some of the top distance runners, there's always at least one or two that are not healthy. Um, they reached this unrealistic weight through either starving themselves or bulimia or something else. And they have short-term success. And we see that. And it's really, really hard to look at that and say, you know what? They might beat me this time, but I want a long-term career. Like mm -hmm. I want to get better every year. And I, I don't want to deal with the psychological and, and emotional problems that come from an eating disorder. It's just not worth it. And mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of times college girls fall into the trap before they've had a chance to really think about the consequences. So I, I looked at, um, I mean, I never won a cross-country title. And I believe that was a big part of why. If you look at uh, not every person that wins cross-country has an eating disorder. But mm -hmm. it's the most common event, that and the 10K where people come out of nowhere, flash in the pan, win one race, and that's it. And you mm -hmm. never hear from them again. And that was very frustrating for me in college because I wanted more than anything to win a cross-country title. Yeah. But that's just a sacrifice you have to make for your long-term health is going, you know what? Sometimes people are going to beat me who are taking a shortcut. And that's how I look at eating disorders. It really mm -hmm. is like a shortcut. Um, and, you know, it's, it's obviously a lot more than that psychologically. But... As a competitor, I thought of it like, I don't take shortcuts when it comes to drugs. I don't take shortcuts in training, so I'm not going to take shortcuts with my body. Yeah. And so, yeah, so that and recovery were the keys to consistent performance and success. Yeah. No, I think those are two awesome answers. And obviously, the, the eating disorder issue is on a, on a much larger level, you know, internally and externally. But I think it's great advice all around for even the audience that's listening to this, um, because I'm sure, you, as you know, working with all kinds of different people, um, you know, even women that start running in their, their 30s and their 40s, they have that uncomfortableness with their body when they say, well, look at this person looks like a runner and I don't look like a runner. Yeah. And I think it's helpful to hear that from somebody like you of, of your level who also has those thoughts that go through their mind um, and, and learns to that, that not to not take the shortcuts and to do things the healthy way. I think that's really important for them to learn. Yeah, it's, it's hard and it's, it never goes away. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm 5'8", and my average competitor at the World Championships when I was 7th, I think, was 5'2", or 5'3", um, and I probably outweighed them by 20, 25 pounds, <laughs> and I finished 7th in the world, and mm -hmm. if I had allowed myself to, to stick in those mind frames of, like, I'm not built like these girls, mm -hmm. I'm not built like a world-class distance runner, which I have those thoughts, mm -hmm. if I let myself dwell in those, I never would have been able to accomplish seventh in the world. You have to just kind of like let them go, accept your body, and know that there's more than one body way mm -hmm. to do it. And then also look for examples of people more like you because they're out there. It's easy for us all to just look at the skinny, tiny people. Mm -hmm. But if you look, you'll see it. You'll see examples in every single event from various countries, people that have a non-traditional body type doing really well. Mm -hmm. Even like high jump, you'll see short guys in the final of the Worlds or Olympics. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. just look for it. No, yeah, absolutely. Great advice. Um, so kind of moving on past college, um, obviously you had a ton of success there. Um, and then obviously when you move into those professional links, things tend to get a little bit more difficult. Um, and it's, you know, looking at your career, it looks like there was a little bit of a, a rough period, you know, right around 2008, 2009. Uh, when you got hurt, um, what yeah. were some of the you, you think the issues with your training and your maybe your approach that um, that affected some of your performances that I, I'm sure you weren't performing to the level that you would hope to at that time? 
Yeah, well, in 2008, um, things were going really, really well up until maybe four or five weeks before the Olympic trials. I ran the nation leading 5K. I broke 15 minutes for the first time. I won a, um, a Grand Prix meet in New York. I mean, I was just on fire. I was like basically solidified my position as a Olympic hopeful, Olympic favorite. And then, um, but as soon as I walked off the track from that race, I couldn't walk. My foot was killing me. And uh, I br ended up breaking my navicular bone. I didn't realize it at the time, but because I'd had a scan and it didn't show up. And anyway, so I was babying it through the Olympic trials. I ended up missing the team by one spot um, and then training as an alternate. And then once I finally realized it was broken and it needed surgery, and that was around October, so after the Olympics were over. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I mean, navicular surgery is no joke. I was out for like basically a year mm -hmm. um, before I could even attempt to jog. Uh, so, you know, actually it was more like eight months or something like that. But, um, but it was like a year and a half before I returned to elite level performance. But in the end, I was just grateful that I could because naviculars are one of those things that a lot of people don't bounce back from. And mm -hmm. I had a really talented surgeon and great physical therapy. And I was patient and, um, you know, I just had to go through, I call it the year of poop. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. It was awful. So, I, I still get emails and Facebook messages from high school people and college people that discover they have a navicular fracture because mm -hmm. it's really traumatizing and they, they like to hear that you can come back from it. But at the time, it's so daunting because you just know, like, well, I'm, pro I'm probably going to be out for a long time. Yeah. And you got to find something else that makes you happy during that time. Yeah. So um, actually, this actually will probably segue really well into the next section. But, um, you know, how did you deal with that, you know, emotionally and mentally uh, to, to stay motivated and to stay confident? And, and what did you do to kind of take your mind off it and, and be able to heal mentally as well? Well, um, I'd like to say I did a great job. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm human like everybody else. And I struggled with it a lot. I was, I was depressed for a while. I was I didn't have a good attitude. Um, I just felt robbed, and uh, and I felt uh, nervous that I'd never get back. And it took, you know, it just had to run its natural course. I mean, mm -hmm. morning, morning being so close to being an Olympian, and then going to the complete opposite extreme, which is injured and you might not run again. Mm -hmm. It was like a really hard thing to take. Um, you know, I couldn't do exercise, so I put on weight. I just I couldn't get my daily release in sports, so I was just down. It was just like a, it was just a nasty time. Yeah. So really, it was just relying on my family and friends, and then finding um, finding self-worth in things other than running ended up being the thing that really turned me around. And so I got involved with some of my friends that were non-athletes that I hadn't really spent a lot of time with and rekindled those relationships and did more social things with them. And then, um, and then I started a business, uh, which gave me the opportunity to test out some of my other non-athletic skills and like work on something and see progress in something else. And I also started a blog, um, which was a great way for me to process emotions, but also I started answering other athletes' questions, which uh, was made me feel like I could contribute. And I, I was like, even though I'm maybe not racing, I have this wealth of knowledge and experience I want to share with other people. And my website allowed me to do that. And that mm -hmm. gave me a lot more confidence and it made me feel more connected to the running community in a different way. So I think that, you know, and those things I took with me once I returned to health and was able to compete again, I mean, I had a, a business and I had a blog and, um, 
And I just kept those things going because I felt like I was a much happier, more stable athlete mm-hmm. with those things than I was before. I felt like before I was more fragile and couldn't handle the ups and downs of the sport as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and that's true to this day. I mean, I guess it's been four years or so since mm-hmm. then. Uh, and I wouldn't give up picky bars or, or blogging for anything. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like in the end, it's one of those things that we all go through that make us much stronger and a better person. And I'm sure you realize that. And and but it's always hard to go through. But obviously, it's it's made you more well-rounded, probably in the end. And that's Definitely. always a good thing. Yeah, it shattered this myth for me that you needed to only be a runner to be a fast runner. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that never felt right to me when I was just a runner. I always felt like I ah, just unsettled. Like mm-hmm. I needed to do something else. Like, what do I do? Do I volunteer? Do I, you know, I just didn't know what to do. And I see so many pro runners like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're a student, you automatically have balance. You've got class and you have your running. Mm-hmm. You're working your mind every single day. Even though it feels like a pain in the butt sometimes, it ends up being this huge blessing to have those two things that are feeding into your confidence and your self-worth and your social life. And when you become a pro athlete, you're just a runner and you're alone, and that's pretty much it. Everything's tied up in that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It can be, it can be difficult. Yeah. Um, so we're going to definitely get to picky bars uh, in a sec, but I want to talk about kind of your comeback. Um, let's talk about, I guess, the training aspect of it. Um, was it really difficult to build back up, especially coming from a year, almost a year of doing nothing? Um, did, you, did you find it to really struggle coming back up with, without trying to push too hard and get back to your former self too quickly? Um, did you have setbacks? How did that go for you? Yeah, it was very humbling. It was the first few runs were so slow. I mean, I would run a minute and walk a minute, run a minute, walk a minute. And then I built up to run two minutes, walk a minute. Mm-hmm. You know? And at first it was run one day, cross train the next day, run one day, cross train the next day. And mm-hmm. then you just have to, it just takes so long. It took like 12 weeks just to be able to build up to running six days a week. And even then they were three or four mile runs. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to baby those navicular injuries to really make sure they don't cause lifelong pain. And um, and I have no problems now with it. So I know that we did it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, I blogged about the whole thing. And it's in the archives of my blog. And I would recommend if any high school or college athlete or, or whatever recreational athlete is going through a comeback from an injury, I was very honest about the approach and how it felt. And, um, and that's something that I think has helped. Other athletes who have discovered that, they've said that they really appreciated my honesty during that time. I wasn't putting on a smiley face. I was like, sometimes it sucked, and I would talk about how much it sucked. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I think that's very helpful for people to hear, you know? <clears throat> yeah, it is, because you, you don't want to feel like the only person that's not all Pollyanna going through your injury, like keeping your smiley face on <laughs> is a tough thing to do, and, um, and, and, and you can still come back from it even if you're not happy every day. Like, sometimes you just need to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the important thing is just getting up and doing it and trying every day, but you don't always have to be happy about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so let's um, actually, I, I believe we'll give the, um, I'll put the resources in the podcast in the uh, introduction yeah. here, but uh, the blog is asklauren.com. Asklaurenfleshman.com. Lauren Fleshman. I couldn't remember if your last name was in there, but yes, mm-hmm. uh, asklaurenfleshman.com. Um, and I'm sure if they search, they can definitely, if they just search navicular, they'll probably find all kinds of good posts. Oh yeah, they'll find all kinds of stuff. And uh, they could just go back in the archives if they wanted to, to anything from 2009 or 10. And, you know, all during that time, that's when I was going through that stuff. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the the other thing that that I learned coming back is that you don't have to have as much 
background as you think. Like you can come back from a long time off and you can do really well. I ended up winning the national championship mm-hmm. by June of 2010. And um, in 2009, I was only able to run one race. Mm-hmm. Like it, so to think that I came from that to winning a U.S. championship is, is hard to believe, but, but it's possible. And the key was just trying to be accepting of where I was at, even if the workouts were really unimpressive and they were things that I was like, I could have done this in high school. Um, just looking at it like a, a small step along the way and being grateful that I was able to do it in the first place mm-hmm. and knowing that I would get, I would keep getting better if I just kept putting my head down. And, um, and I started to think of it as fun. Like this is my chance to start from zero again and see how good I could get. Mm-hmm. So it became a challenge, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it actually, it sounds like, you know, and, and I've had this experience too, where the second time we're building fitness to get back to a point is, is actually much easier than it is the first time. And it, that goes back to your whole your point at the beginning about rest and taking the downtime where, yeah, you have a couple weeks where it stinks to come back after taking three, three weeks off, but it comes back very quickly. And, it and does. that's the reason it works. <laughs> and then you forget you were ever out of shape. It's mm-hmm. like all of a sudden you feel like you'll never, ever be in shape. And then... And then you're in shape and you forgot you were out of shape. It's just like runners are so crazy. You <laughs> can't be so emotional about it in the process. Yeah, yeah. It's easier, <laughs> easier to say to than do. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to go through all this again. I mean, I'm pregnant right now mm-hmm. and I'm going to have a baby in six weeks and I haven't been able to run for a couple weeks now. So by the time I get back to running, I will have taken 10 or 12 weeks off. It's mm-hmm. like a, that's a substantial injury. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'll be starting from zero and... And instead of it frightening me this time, because I've been through it before, mm-hmm. I look forward to it, and I'm embracing it, and I don't expect to light the world on fire right away. But I do know that it's possible to light the world on fire again if I chip away and I set realistic expectations, just kind of like let go of the end result for a while and enjoy climbing back up. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's great advice. Um, so now let's talk about your company, uh, Picky Bars. Um, so you started it in 2010? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it was... Was it in result of, as a result of the injury, or was it something that you were kind of toying with before? Kind of, how did it come about? Well, I'm like, I'm like a creative problem solver in general. Like, if I see a problem, I want to fix it. I don't like to just complain about it. And mm-hmm. so, um, but you know, when you're running fast and everything's going well and you're really busy, you don't have time to sit around tinkering with energy bars. So, um, I never would have started picky bars if I hadn't been hurt because mm-hmm. when I was hurt, I had the time. And I had the creative energy available, and I needed to put it somewhere because I couldn't put it into my running. And so the problem before me was that my husband, Jesse Thomas, he was starting to get into triathlon, and he was gluten and dairy intolerant. And there were no energy bars that were gluten and dairy-free that were balanced appropriately for sport. Um, and the, one, the, bar, like the bars that are out there that are you know, sports bars like Power Bar and all these kinds of things, are for, they're full of gluten, <laughs> but yeah. they're also... Um, full of a lot of cheap fillers and kind of like they're very uh, lab created, mm-hmm. you know, like they basically crush a vitamin up in them so they can say that they have 100% of all the vitamins. But mm-hmm. really, like when you know anything about nutrition, you don't absorb those things um, the same way you do real food. And so I was like, why isn't there a real food bar that's, that's the way we eat? We eat fruits, vegetables, high quality proteins. We don't take a lot of vitamins. So I was like, why isn't there a real food bar designed for athletes with all the right ratios for exercise? Um, and so I was like, I'm going to try to make one. And so I made them for him, and they worked great. And, uh, and my friend Stephanie Rothstein, who's a pro marathoner, she uh, was injured at the time, too, and we became cross-training buddies. And so 
it became our project together. And we really grew it and created more recipes and started selling them. And it, you know, it was just, at first it was just a distraction. I don't think we ever thought it would really become anything. Mm-hmm. And then it just took off. People loved them and they we've oh. kind of like, <laughs> we're kind of stuck doing it now. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and we're glad we are because it's a great complement to our athletic careers to have something else going on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about that science and the nutrition part of it because I think that's important. And you're right, there's especially running, you know, there's tons of gluten intolerant, dairy intolerant, intolerant runners out there and obviously looking for a very natural uh, nutritional product. So um, let's actually go back and talk. You said, you know, there's the scientific ratio. Um, let's talk a little bit about that and how Piggy Bars addresses that scientific ratio. Yeah, so one of the things that you really want in exercise, okay, so just to start from uber basics, mm-hmm. your body burns calories differently when you're exercising than it does when you're not exercising. Um, you know, more blood is going to your muscles, less blood is going to your stomach, and then once you're done exercising, the blood goes away from your muscles and goes back to your stomach. And and then also, um, exercise causes you to deplete your glycogen stores, which are like your basically your energy stores in your muscles, mm-hmm. um, because the whole time you're exercising, you're flexing your muscles, right? So it's like burning those glycogen stores away. And if you don't replace those right after exercise, you end up burning away your muscles and... Um, and then let's say you don't eat anything after a run until like an hour and a half later. Once you do eat, you miss this window of time where your muscles are like a sponge and they're just asking you to refill them. You miss that window of time and they kind of just shut down. And then whatever you do eat doesn't go to your muscles. It goes to like fat and other things. It's very inefficient. Mm-hmm. So science has shown that it's really important within 15 to 30 minutes of finishing exercise that you eat an appropriately balanced snack. Uh, right away and it will go right into your muscles and your glycogen and then within an hour then you go and you eat your bigger lunch or your bigger dinner or whatever um so what picky bars are is this ideal product exactly 200 calories which works great for women and smaller men it wouldn't be good for like a male bodybuilder or something like that or it would be too small for a basketball player but it's great for runners and for cyclists um and it's just got everything you need. A four to one carbohydrate to protein ratio has been shown to be the maximal um, uh, ratio for bringing those calories into your muscles and glycogen instead of to fat. And so that's what all of our picky bars contain that ratio. And they do it with real food, like things that you can recognize, like nuts and nut butter and um, fruit and honey and agave and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, there really is nothing else out there like it. And, uh, and there's no soy protein. Soy protein is kind of one of those things that's like in everything right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to have a variety of proteins and soy, it can be over, it's, it's easy to overeat soy when you're a man. So, um, it's like a pre-estrogen. So you don't really want to have too much soy in your diet. So picky bars, even if you're not gluten and dairy intolerant, and even if you don't have a problem with soy, it just provides this alternative that, um, helps add variety to your diet and, it just takes the thinking out of it. So mm-hmm. that was what we wanted to do is be like, we are pro athletes. We're obsessed with nutrition anyway. We know because we have great resources what the best thing is. So let's try to make something that takes the thinking out of it for everybody else so they can just eat it and know they're getting what they need. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And I've had them and they're, they're absolutely delicious. And oh, well, it, it, you don't expect it because, you know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I think in college I probably had a power bar every pretty much every day after a run. Yeah. And <laughs> after some point you're like, this is the most disgusting tasting thing in the world and you know it's so chemical and and foreign you know it's just not real food 
Um, yeah. And it was really surprised. I was actually really surprised um, with how much like it tasted like real food. And, and that was something that I really enjoyed, especially if you're going to eat them a lot. And that's where yeah. I see runners benefiting a lot. You know, like if, if you just have one once every year, whatever, but if you're eating power bars every, or, you know, or nutrition bars every single day, obviously you want something that's real. So obviously you've, yeah. you've hit home. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And you know, you're going to get, you're going to get tired of anything if you eat it every single day. And so mm-hmm. we're going to keep coming out with new ingredients, I mean, new recipes and I'm um, just, just trying to keep it interesting for our uh, fans and um, customers as that group grows. And, um, and we just, you know, we'll just be committed to make him taste as good as we can without sacrificing the science involved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm glad you got to try them and, and all that stuff's good. Yeah. Um, so actually I did have a question that came in through uh, Twitter. Somebody asked, um, they, they wanted to ask, how do you guys keep them uh, like fresh and packaged when, you know, it is, it is real food. Um, yeah. So how do you guys deal with that aspect of things? Well, they do have an expiration date um, and the expiration date is within a year. So, um, if you look at a power bar or a cliff bar, I'm pretty sure that they could last the apocalypse. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, um, the shelf life of our product, uh, before, if you don't um, add vitamin E, so vitamin E is a natural product life extender, and it doesn't extend it very far because it is a natural product, mm-hmm. but it will extend something from about six months to a year. And, uh, and so that's what we use. And then um, also just things like uh, we made a move. We used to have clear plastic packaging, mm-hmm. and now we use uh, an opaque packaging. And, it, and that protects it from sunlight, which helps it last longer, its flavor lasts longer. And, um, and then, I mean, really just buying our ingredients as fresh as we can. So we actually only make enough bars at a time to last four to six weeks. So if you buy picky bars, those bars have been made generally within one or two months. Um, and, and when we buy the ingredients, we buy them right before we make the bars. And so those nuts have been made from the nut place right before they go into the bar. And, um, and so that's the only way that you can maintain freshness. And, uh, and then we also recommend that people, you know, buy them frequently. Like don't stock up with 100 all at once. <laughs> they will taste better the first few months. I mean, they'll be good on the shelf for a year, but they'll taste best right away. Mm-hmm. And we have a picky club, which is a way to get your bars delivered to your house every month. And so you're getting fresh bars every month and you never have to worry about it. And that's one of the reasons we do that because you get the optimal taste and the optimal freshness when you, when you go about it that way. Um, but, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's expensive to make bars that way, which is why our product is not the cheapest one out there. Mm-hmm. But we hope that people value the quality of the ingredients, that they're mostly organic, and that we're committed to doing these things in a way that has a shelf life and, you know, and, and that's going to cost you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. No, you know, and, and I can attest that it's it's totally worth it in terms of not even, I mean, taste alone would probably be worth it, but I think just in general, like the nutritional focus and also the kind of the healthy whole foods type focus, um, mm-hmm. and actually goes back to what we were talking about way earlier about kind of the eating sort of thing where more long-term, short-term things, you know? Yeah, they may cost a little bit more now, but I think in the long run, it's probably a better choice. So definitely think uh, they're good. And just to make sure we get it right, the website is pickybars.com, correct? Yes, it is. Pickybars.com. So check us out. and um, We have a list of all our retailers. You can see if there's one in your area. And if you don't, um, you know, a lot of people order online and we have over 500 members of our Picky Club now that get them every month. So that's a really good 
uh, option for people. Yeah. Now for the retailers, are there any big like brand stores that you're in or is it mostly local, um, smaller stuff? Yeah. I mean, we're in kind of a Pacific Northwest chain called Market of Choice, which is like a Whole Foods. Um, we're in, uh, we just got into, uh, I think 25 REIs. So, and then if those do well, we'll be able to expand to more REIs. Okay. And then, um, we're in sports basement, which is a really great sports store chain in San Francisco Bay area. And they have four or five locations. Um, and then, then from then on, it's really just kind of like random. So we're in stores that are interested in our product and places where our customers go and say, Hey, you guys need to carry these because yeah. I want to be able to walk in here and buy them. And that is the best way we've been able to expand is from our customers. And so we really appreciate that. Um, so do you have a, on your website, is there a list, uh, a list of retailers that, that yes. sell your products? Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. Store locator. Okay. Uh, well, I encourage everybody to go out and if you're near a store, buy them all. So they have to, so they <laughs> like REI, they expand. So they're all over the place so we can get them in Boston. And, um, yep. and obviously tell people, tell your store, local stores that this is what they need to do and look into it. Um, yeah. Send us any tips, you know, um, through the picky bars website if there's a store that you've talked to or you know that they would like them or they'd be they'd sell well there send us an email and we'll make sure we we try to get them in your store awesome that's good to know um so kind of moving on obviously you have uh, aspirations you know running wise and um i I think this is going to be the interesting thing you know you have you're going to have a baby soon and um you have the business going and you obviously still have a lot uh, of aspirations and goals with running um how do you think that you're going to balance you know, how do you going to approach that balance where you've got all kinds of stuff going on? Yeah, well, I think that um, what I'm trying to do right now is, well, I've, do, I've been doing it already for the last few months, is uh, offload my responsibilities at Picky Bars so that I have as, as, as few things as possible to do and, and make those things the things that I'm best at and mm-hmm. that I truly enjoy. And so that is um, promoting the product and helping shape the recipes and the brand. And uh, if I can... We hired employees basically to do all the other things, mm-hmm. and that allows Jesse and I, as pro athletes, to to focus on our training. So then that keeps picky bars as something that complements us rather than takes away from our sport. Uh, the other thing with the baby, oh my gosh, I have no idea. It's gonna <laughs> be <laughs> it's gonna be crazy. Um, we've committed to like budget for hiring help, which is going to be expensive. But in order for us to do what we want to do in our sports, um, we're just going to need help. So uh, if that costs us a lot of money now and we can't save very much, then that's just the way it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. We're, we're, we're looking into like a nanny. We have family in town that can help with, with things here and there. And, and then hopefully I'll travel with someone, whether it's a, a nanny or a family member or a friend to my big events so that I can um, – do what I need to do, but have my family there. And there's great examples out there. I mean, Paula Radcliffe, Kara Goucher, Bernard Lagat, people that are running at a high level and incorporating their family and involved with their kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's possible. I just need to start calling them and find out what the heck they do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be uh, definitely some good people to, uh, to learn from, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, so actually, the last thing here is, um, obviously, as you begin your, your new running journey or uh, kind of continue it, um, you switched sponsors and you're now with Wazelle, and I said it correct, right? You did, yeah. All right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, that brand and how you got involved and, and what they're all about. Yeah, so Wazelle is a women's-only running apparel based in Seattle, Washington, and it's started by runners and tested by runners, and it's, um, it's unlike anything else 
out there and it's right up my alley. So I've always been a team player. I've always been passionate about the sport, women's running in particular. And, uh, and so I started admiring them from afar on Twitter and Facebook in 2000, like end of 2010, beginning of 2011. And um, just sort of watching them while I was a Nike athlete to see, oh, who is this new player in town and what are they doing differently? Mm-hmm. I was really impressed. And I didn't think it would be possible that they could um, bring me on as an athlete because they are a really small company. But uh, we started having some conversations near the end of my Nike contract. And I just wanted to, I told them I was interested in exploring it. And, uh, and so we, we had some talks and it was just, it was a mutual thing. We both really wanted to make it work and we mm-hmm. found a way to make it work. And I'm, I've never been happier. It's like I have, um, I have a support group of women who make amazing clothes. They look stylish, but they perform. So that's great. Checkbox mm-hmm. done. <laughs> but then also they understand who I am as a person and they respect that I'm, I'm a runner, but I'm also, I also care about having a family and I also care about picky bars and writing and other things. And they've always made me feel like those things are part of why they want me on board and not a distraction from my running. And I always kind of felt before was all like anything else I cared about was a distraction and not respected. And, you know, in the end, I just got to be true to who I am and this is who I am. And I want to, I want to be around people that respect that and are excited about that too. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, um, I couldn't be happier. It's been an amazing first four months. Yeah, it sounds like it's a perfect fit based on your personality and, and kind of the brand that they're, they're about. So, yeah, it's great, and they're just they're they're growing so much, and um, it's small, so you get to know everyone that works there, and everyone is very creative and has a big impact on the company, and and I feel like I can have a big impact, and I feel like I can do that with my running, but also with my creativity. Uh, also by just being a good motivator and team player, mm-hmm. all the kind of things I loved about high school and college that I missed as a professional athlete, mm-hmm. I get those things again now. It's like I have a team again, and um, I really, really, really love that. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, because it sounds not- it's spelled nothing like it sounds, um, why don't <laughs> yeah, you go you ahead and... Right here, it's spelled like O-I-S-E-L-L-E, <laughs> so it's like Mademoiselle without the madam. All right, yeah, so um, we'll direct people to that website. We'll have the link on our site. Um, again, it's O-I-S-E-L-L-E dot yep. com. Um, yep. So people check it out, especially the women. Uh, men, probably not going to find much that you, uh, <laughs> that you like. But, uh, but no, the, you'll the... find things for your girlfriend, but that's about it. Perfect. <laughs> running gifts. Christmas is a little ways off as we're recording this, but, you know, summer running apparel always, always fits well. So. Yeah, and the thing that they're, uh, they, was their claim to fame that really helped the business take off was uh, their shorts. They make shorts that actually fit properly on women's body that don't fit like a diaper. So I really would recommend if you check out Wazelle to check out their shorts and also their graphic tees, which is like one like this, but they make a bunch of really cool kind of funky, sassy 50-50 blend tees that, um, that I just love wearing. Very cool. Well, Lauren, th- this has been a fantastic interview. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much and I think the audience is really going to benefit from, from your wisdom and everything that you had to share. Um, again, it's, uh, Lauren's website is asklaurenfleshman.com. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, her, uh, the site for the picky bars is pickybars.com and definitely check out wazelle.com. Um, but, uh, Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been a, and it's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for the interview and uh, good luck to everybody who's watching with their running. Thank you. Yeah.